Hey, housewives, come on in. You know the dirty dishes are still in the sink from yesterday and the laundry is still in the basket. Pop your AirPods in and make yourself at home here. I'm Tracy. I'm Tori. And And we we are your Unlikely Housewives. Stepping out in faith and believing that God calls the unlikely, we are here to show you the appreciation and validation you deserve, lead you to authentic relationships, and release you of believing the cultural lies to restore your faith and wellness. Pull up those high-waisted yoga pants, tighten your top knot, and reheat your coffee for the third time. Turn up the volume and let's go. housewife hey hey welcome back we're happy you are here and have we got an episode for you y'all it has been absolutely so fun to be a fly on the wall and finally get to meet somebody i hear so much about and so many nuggets of wisdom from tracy and so without further ado i'm gonna let tracy introduce our guest yes we're very excited for today and this comes from a very personal place but also very excited, one, because it's our first guest this season, and we are sharing this season from a place of vulnerability. Sometimes we like to share only when things are great, you know, on social media, that highlight reel and when everything is great. But in all actuality, Tori and I, we've realized that people relate to us more when we make them feel like they're not alone. And so when I met Noreen, I was feeling in a very alone space, just dealing with a lot of mental just stuckness. I was feeling very paralyzed with just where I wanted to go in family situations and life and work and not feeling super great and dealing with some health stuff and marital stuff. (laughs) And funny, my husband didn't know anything about it. We'll talk about that. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And so... That's actually how I met Noreen, and she is a Master of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy, and she is married and has four crazy boys, which hopefully one day I'll get to meet because having four children, we both can relate to chaos, (laughs) but she studies her focus is for those with anxiety, couple conflict, depression, infidelity, loss and grief, low self-esteem, relationship problems and religious, spiritual, and faith concerns and women's issues. So it's a big list of things that she cares to focus on. And without further ado, welcome, Noreen. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you here. So for starters, there is a very fun side of you outside of therapy. What do you like to do for fun? Well, outside of being a mom, which I say the only thing I'm amazing at is being a mom. I'm an okay wife. I'm an okay Christian. I'm an okay therapist, but I am an amazing mom of four boys, but I'm also a sculptor. So I weld and I deduct wood. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And I cast aluminum and bronze. And oh, I've also casted iron, which was very interesting because I got to beat a bathtub apart, which was so therapeutic. I was going to say in that self, it's that demo stage where it's like, all right, let's yeah. But so welding, my mom has, she's a Enneagram 7 wing 8, mm-hmm. very much. And she's done welding. She's done stained glass. She's very 
the creative side mm-hmm. and that, that's an outlet of her so like but the well she has the welder's helmet and everything yeah, mine that's is blinged the, out with oh, name and everything very so, yeah. nice yeah i can see that i mean the other thing one of the things that tracy told me and she goes she always is wearing red lipstick <laughs> she never goes anywhere without a red lipstick so y'all can yeah, that is what my nani passed on to me so yeah i think that that is i always pray every morning that when people see me they see jesus not the red lipstick Oh, so I mean, there's a sculpture on Johnson County Community College in one of the museums of it's called a hot mess. And so you see this beautiful red lipstick, but over it is this steel, chaotic mess of me that represents me. So, oh, yeah. like, one of my favorite pieces is at Wolf Springs Elementary. Oh, oh, I seen it. You haven't? No. Yeah. It's the amazing sculpture that's at the front of the school. And okay. And when I created it, they hired me to create a sculpture. So I came up with a school of fish. But the reason I did fish is really because of the ichthys for Jesus. Yes. And so we were merging two schools together and there was a lot of conflict while that was going on. Sure. We had Mills Farm very angry that their school was being moved away from Timber Creek. Is that what it is? Yeah. And then Stillwell, where we went. We were sad that they were taking us away from such an amazing place. So I had to create a sculpture that kind of housed both of the schools. So I had the children work with me and I had them write on these styrofoam fish. And then I, just through process, it's hard to explain. I can later explain if you guys want. But the words that they use, like awesome, O-W-S-U-M, because that's what they hoped for the new school. Awesome and safe and family. So there were just a whole bunch of different words. So if you ever go in there, it's my piece at the front of the the school. I'll have to go check that out. I was going to say, we got basketball practice Thursday night and I'm going to, I'm I'm the, my daughter's assistant coach. And so I'm like, all right, water break, field trip. Let's walk around the school at (laughs) seven o'clock and we're going to go find it. Yeah. It's about eight feet tall. Oh, so fun. Yeah. So it was fun after I had steel embedded my eye twice. One time it rested Oh, because I went to the entire weekend. But yeah. Well, with all good things, there's always risk. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. And especially when you are in a men's world and the face masks that they provide don't really fit your face, which is why steel ricocheted into my eyes while I was while I was angle grinding. Oh, my. So, oh, my goodness. Now I like triple layer up. When I'm <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah, but, so that's what I do. And that's my therapy. I think it just gives me time with God and I just put more music on and I've developed a lot of friendships and things like that through the school. I'm more of like the mom, which I say I'm meanerine <laughs> because it's their mom does not work there. So they need to clean up after themselves. But it's amazing to see these young people respect and adore me. And then I go home to the same age children or similar. And they're like, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Right. They're like, you know nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this is so. Yeah. yeah. There are other children that like me. Yeah. I can have much. those. Right. That's what it feels like. But. So I have my studio family and, but right now I'm in a season, this is the first season since 2014 that God has said no studio for a semester. So I don't know why, but I'm just trusting that that's what he has planned. Yeah. That was my devotion this morning is just that all things come in different waves and different seasons. And what, what season are you in right now? And what season are you preparing for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've definitely been in the go get them and hustle and all of that, like just work and just all the things. And then all of a sudden it's like forced into relentless rest and healing and taking time. And when you're 
personality like me, sometimes that's conflicting, which is especially why when I ended up in therapy. <laughs> especially for someone who wants to be very in control. Yes. Yeah. We can talk about my lack of or my desire to always be in control. I was going to say lack of what? I was no. like, control is control yes. is Tracy's jam. Freak. Oh, yes, man. I remind Tracy Psalm 4610 all the time. Which is? Be still and oh. know that I am God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm very much mm-hmm. in that season right now. Me and too. I, like, I, I appreciate that. And I feel that. I mean, I remember sitting at your kitchen counter just two months ago, just crying and being like, I can't believe how close I feel to God right now. Like yeah. it just, it's new and it feels so good. And it's so that refreshing feeling. But it's also like, because I have to let go and just trust him in this season of so much going on. And that's so hard. The other, and I'm going to get the verse, I want to say it's Exodus 14 something, but it's be still and I will fight for you. Mm. And I think that one's a, that I because then it reminds me that I can be still, but he doesn't mean he's still at the same time. That's right. good. And yeah. so I feel that. that's because there's there's always something that I have no idea what's going on behind. He's behind the closed doors and I am not. And yeah. He's in conversations that I am not. And I can I can I can be OK with that. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some questions that we think some of the listeners might have. Yes, we're going to talk about, you know, we'll touch on some of the personal things that I've, you know, worked through just for encouragement purposes and to give you guys some hope. But honestly, we really want to open up. A lot of people are maybe afraid isn't the right word, but just fearful of going into therapy and and being vulnerable and opening up. What advice or what would you say is the first step in just making that decision to go. I find that people only start therapy when they are absolutely broken and there's so much heat that they're they have no choice but to do something. Yeah. I find that it is a last resort. They come in hopeful that I'm just going to be able to wave a magic wand, which I don't have or I don't have fairy dust either. So I always say the only way out of anything is through it. Um, that is very hard for people. And they're like, what do you mean I have to go through it? I'm like, it's just like what Dory says, you have to go through it. Yes. And so I always say it's going to hurt so much more before it gets better. And you don't have to like me and I'm okay with that. I'm not going to not say the hard stuff, which yeah. um, I always say, if you want someone to placate you and just say, how does that make you feel? I'm not your therapist. Yeah. So <laughs> I like that. I make that very clear. I always instruct people to go to my website to read about me because I am very direct, but so loving. Yeah, I always say I'll be kind, but I'm not always nice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that's something that people have a misconception about is that being direct is unkind, where it actually is the most kind thing that you can do. Versus trying to answer somebody and, you know, either, you know, tell them what they want to hear or not correct them when they need correction. And that's not doing them any favors. Right. But we can't, you know, our culture, we're in a culture moment now and where we can't be direct and say what it is, what it actually is. We're supposed to tiptoe around other people's 
feelings and I'm supposed to make everybody feel good. And Right. I always ask him, how's that working for you? <laughs> and they are like, well, it's not. I'm like, so do something different. I was going to say, and you're here, so it's not working very <laughs> right. well. Like, so here you are sitting on my white sofa, you know, <laughs> so do something differently. That's but that's a choice that each person has. Yeah. I will talk about what they both ways that they can go. You can choose to stay where you are and be completely uncomfortable or you can risk and have to be brave and sit comfortably, which has been very difficult for people. Sit comfortably in the discomfort. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's hard. It's the hardest thing. It was easier for me versus my husband because I I like to process the feelings and I think it finally became a safe place with you to where I could open up about so much of what we were going through. But with him, that was, I mean, it was a safe place. He felt comfortable talking, but it took a lot out of him that like he would get emotional and he would have a lot of things that we'd talk about, which is incredible because that's not what typically happens at home. (laughs) But there's so much in the processing that it is uncomfortable. Like, it's just like when you go to church, right? You go to church, you absolutely love it. And you get in the car and two seconds later, you're yelling at your kids and you're like, gosh, that was so good in there. How am I like this out here? That's the way it feels when you go to therapy. Like we sit in therapy and we're so vulnerable and we open up and we talk and we and we process things. And then an hour later, we're like <laughs> at each other again, you know, but the more we have gone and the more we have processed, that has slowed down. That has like, we've differentiated ourselves. We've taken a step mm-hmm. back. We've realized and look at each other. We look at each other differently now and we're trying to bring that, you know, safe place and those conversations and things that we have in therapy into the home to where it becomes our process. It's harder for men because society says you have to be strong. John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, wrote a book that says men are innately created to go out, hunt their prey, kill their prey, throw it over the back and go home and like, I'm man. But I even saw it with my own husband when Fletcher was in kindergarten and he's crying. He's like, you can't cry. I'm like, you cry. You cry. I'm going to cry with you. Mm -hmm. And here I am raising four men. And my husband was raised by military FBI. You don't cry. You don't show emotions or weakness. And yet that's what we're saying you need to do in marriage, in life and in therapy. And so allowing men the space to, on their terms, to break down and know that it's safe. I think that's probably the most important thing that I need to provide for my clients, that, that it's safe. Yeah. What they're experiencing is not who they are. And that's something really hard. Men are created to believe that what you do is who you are. And that's all that matters. Like you have value in what you do, not you just sitting here being an amazing person. Right. Okay, so... Go back to John Eldridge because Wild at Heart and he also wrote the one for women's Captivating. His wife did, Stacy. Yeah, well, he also helped with it too, well, yes. right? So he, mm-hmm. they co-wrote it together. Mm-hmm. But talk more about the book at Wild at Heart. And I want to say that because this is years ago. It's been so long. I know exactly where it is on my bookshelf right now out, out of the office. But talk more about that book for men on what, like you were saying too, is that you have value, period, not because of what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a weekend retreat in Colorado with both John and Susan when I was pregnant with Beckett. It was the most, like, I've never felt so close to Christ. Oh, like, my. Up in the mouth. Gosh. It was unbelievable to just be in. And it was like a small, intimate, I mean, maybe 80 women. 
this entire weekend. Um, oh, it was amazing. I'm so um, jealous right now. Sorry. Yeah. They just, they can put things into words that it, I don't know how other, I mean, they're just so good about mm-hmm. word and the way they wrote these two books, Wild at Heart first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then they talking about the men and men's role, which I think, again, in this culture moment, we're very quickly the world is just trying to absolutely cut the legs out from under men. Yeah. And then they went in and talked about like the women's role in captivating and and the the other side of that and what that's like. So I ironically it's it's crazy to think that while it's I mean as I'm raising four men, women moms roles are, you know, of course very important, but ironically for both captivating and well at heart, it's the man that's so essential for raising children. And so often our men, I mean, I even have to redirect my children that you don't have to do anything. Who you are is more than enough. Yeah. I don't need to know what, how fast you can run, how many home runs, you know, if you're first place or top in your class, who you are is all that matters. But society says, where's your resume? Mm -hmm. Men, you need to make your way into the world. And at the beginning of marriages, the husband is like my career, 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 and then they have children and the husbands are absent. Then the wives become resentful because they are raising the children and the husband's keeping his identity and growing his success. And then as the children get older, the dad is so disconnected because he's been told by the world that who you are isn't enough. It's what you do. And the size of your house, the cars you drive, the image that you have. And then the women, they don't, and this is my own stuff. But I feel like I was being fired as my boys have gotten older. Like my job has become obsolete. That was very, very hard for me. But I see a lot of clients that come in and they're like, well, I don't, I don't know who I am or what I'm doing because my husband was always in his career and I stayed home with the children. And then there's so much resentment to the husband because Mm -hmm. he continued on the path that life says he's supposed to. And the wife is like, I don't know who I am or where I'm going or what I'm doing. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I have felt that and, you know, that's no fault to my husband, you know, I mean, I, we have done things very differently and we're very open and we've, you know, our ups and downs, but when it came to a a change in life, like a move, that's when the identity was like questioned, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I was also working and we both were, I mean, we had a really good balance, but when your relationships change and your world gets turned upside down, that is like the core of who I am. And so that to me, you know, was the the upside down. And I think I have these conversations, you know, 40s women, you know, families, kids with teens, kids with like, you know, in the middle. We're Transitioning. Just, yes, this transition season, this milestone, having had these last three years post-COVID quarantining, homeschooling, you know, there are so many women who feel like I felt. Well, this is the first time I think our husbands really have had to see what stay-at-home moms experience because they were home with us over COVID. Sure. And that is where I've seen such a shift of husbands that want to be more present. They're like, oh my goodness, I have been missing this for that. Yeah. Yeah. So why probably, it's probably been about a year now, but my husband in corporate America had to come home, right? And work from home. And about a year ago, my oldest, Emsley, she turned to me and she goes, Mommy, I'm glad COVID happened. And I was like, 
all right, well, that's a, okay, that's a thought. What, why is that? And she goes, we get to see daddy so much more now. Yeah. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because it's so true. Because since he's been working from home and he's changed his hours that he goes into the office so that he can take him to school, he can pick him up. And this is literally the last three years is the most they've ever seen their dad. And because, I mean, he, Kansas alone changed our life because he worked and we lived in Dallas prior to, and he had basically an hour commute because of traffic right. in the morning. So he left before they woke up and they were babies and, you know, and two and three. And then he would get home probably about 6.45. Bedtime was at 7.30. Oh, goodness. After he'd spent an hour and a half in traffic. So then he would need to decompress when he got home because you're a different person in Dallas traffic. Um, he's like a demon possesses you. <laughs> and so then he would get to see him for 45 minutes and then that was it. Mm-hmm. And then Kansas changed us because his commute was 12 minutes. We laugh because people say they have traffic here and it's just not true. Um, and they're Between like, Dallas and Atlanta, we have nothing. Exactly. Nothing. And it's just like, oh, you're so cute. You think you have traffic. And so like that alone was a big deal. Having dad home at like 530 versus, you know, a couple of hours. But then like COVID and it's like, well, dad picks us up from school. Like. What do you do, mom? I'm like, all right, things got Right. But I always say to my clients, you are teaching your children. So I have to raise four godly men. So they have to know how to treat their wives. So the world says you treat women this way. Me, mm-hmm. says that is not happening. And so I've said to my children so many times, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry you think that's acceptable to speak to me like that. You've lost a privilege for the rest of the day to talk to me. And they're like, what? What? And I don't respond. And the longest any of my children have ever gone, my godly sandpaper child, number one, was seven minutes before he came back and apologized. And I always say, why are you, why are you apologizing? Why are you sorry? I ask them, why are you apologizing? And they're like, well... Because I was so disrespectful. What did you do that was disrespectful? I want to like lean in. I don't want them to say, sorry, that's right. not an apology. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want my boys to become men that know how to treat women. And I'm not saying that my husband doesn't know how to treat me, but he definitely has old school. You are a stay-at-home mom. You stay home with the sick kids. You don't have a career, even though, yes, I created this June Cleaver m- mindset because of my own childhood trauma. And I still kind of without, I mean, it was never explicitly said I have to be accessible for him and he couldn't be inconvenienced because he had the career. Right. So I say, so to the dads that I'm like, so you're teaching, that's the kind of husband you want your daughter to marry. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of husband you want your son to become. Because our children don't do as we say. They do as we do. Exactly. Yeah. That's so hard. They're like, ouch. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not sorry for saying that. No. Yeah. Well, and we don't realize it until like, you know, how easy, you know, as parents, we're like, oh, my God, I've turned into my mother. (laughs) Like you just naturally. But that's the that's the thought, right? You turn into what you have seen or what What you know, what you know. And then that's where so much, you know, like. And then if you're coming from two completely different backgrounds, 
and two different schools of thought on either parenting or marriage and what that looks like. That's assuming that your future partner is not does not come from a divorced family. Yeah, then, that's true. I mean, true. it just starts multiplying. Yeah, that's true. It's amazing. I just have to say, like, it's the the generational effect that divorce has. Multi-generational patterns. Either you sit in that heat and you realize that heat is going to break me or bend me. And you get to choose. My childhood is a perfect example. I came from an abusive alcoholic family. I left home at 19 and haven't spoken to my parents really, unfortunately. And so I chose to do the different route because of everything I didn't have. I wanted my children to have and what I wanted. So it's being cognizant and aware and recognizing that only I, I mean, I could play the victim, but only I have that authority over how my life turns out. Right. And Tracy was talking earlier about differentiation. It is being able to be comfortable with, and this is the hardest thing in just about every marriage. We believe that we have to have this, we have to agree on everything or that's not our soulmate, right? Like, Uh what do you mean you don't agree with me? Then you are against me, which is a lot of mentality, but that's not it. It is saying, I love you and I disagree. I love you and you're not my favorite person right now. I see your point and I know how I feel. It's the both and. It's not the, I love you and you're wrong. Or I love you, but you're wrong. It's not either or. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both and. Mm -hmm. I've had couples come in and they are at a neighborhood event and they will meet up afterwards and they're like, oh my gosh, can you believe she said that? And And the wife will go, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, how do you not think that there is a discrepancy And she's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, if you agree with that, then there's something wrong with you. And then Uh it just blows up. Mm -hmm. That's non-differentiated. That's enmeshment. Like, I need you to agree with me so I feel comfortable. Welcome to 2023 and (laughs) the last four years in society. (laughs) Right. I need you to change so I am comfortable. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to, it's very hard. I want to go back really quick because you had said, oh, it's gotten so much better since COVID and Emsley was so happy and my kids feel the same and my husband's home more, you know. But I also want to address that with that space, no matter what situation you were in, good or bad, the change that COVID happened rocked a lot of relationships. Mm -hmm. It either brought out the insecurities, it brought out the whole like everybody's home and holy cow. I haven't seen you. You were a traveling, you know, spouse and now you're home and now I'm not sure I like you. (laughs) Dynamic, significant. Everything changed. And I think that was, you know, my work cut back completely because I became a homeschooling mom. And I let go of that real quick because I knew what my priorities were, but my husband wasn't letting go of that as much. And so there was just there was so much of that tug and pull. And I think so many women are still feeling that. And we've kind of addressed this already a couple of times in the last two uh, episodes with unmet expectations and trying to communicate a little bit more. But I would love for you to just share a little bit about that communication piece, because if, yeah, some people maybe aren't jumping into therapy after this, but maybe that's on their mind. But what can they do at home to communicate and open up that tug and pull and that gap that's they're still struggling with? I know this sounds so simple, but it really is. And it's going to be Whoever the one in the relationship brings this or who's listening and will say this, 
the other person is going to really struggle with that because that means I have to sit in that discomfort. And this is where vulnerability comes in. And vulnerability, especially for men, says you're weak, you're pathetic. If you have emotions, you don't have control. And that's truly where the communication comes in, control. So I would say, I feel ignored when you come home from work and ask me about my day, if you do ask me, and then you don't listen. So it's saying, I feel how you feel when you fill in the blank. The hard part is to then have your partner say back to you what he or she heard and not the same exact words. Yeah, It is not saying, I heard you say you feel ignored. No, it's taking the information and the emotion and that vulnerability that you just put out there and being able to experience. That's where empathy comes in. There's a huge difference between sympathy and empathy. Empathy is being able to say, wow, I recognize how you feel and I am going to sit with you and experience that with you. Right. Even if I can't understand it, I want to be able to experience that. So what I'm hearing you say is that I am not at all engaged in the conversation when you are telling me about your day, even if it's the same mundane thing that you said yesterday. I am not present. I am not attuned. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can relate to that. I was talking about that in our previous episode, how Chris and I used to text each other. We had to set the bar of like what things were like before he came home sitting in traffic and like that so that before he walked in, he had some expectations of maybe the dishes weren't done. Maybe the toddler hadn't had a nap, you know, those kinds of things. And that opening up that what you're walking into helps. But I think in this season we've been in to say what you say is it sounds so simple, Mm -hmm. but it is so difficult to communicate that because I know I've been in position and Chris and Chris can totally vouch for this. I'm not speaking out of turn, but if I were to say that to him, he'd be like, well, that's a you thing. You're (laughs) sorry. That's a you problem. Like he now he would totally sit and think about it because we've been in this to process it. But man, I mean, I'm a feeler and he's just a thinker and a doer. And when I would bring that emotion or that thought to him, it was just a, well, that's a you problem kind of thing. And it's like, no, in that situation, it's not like I'm needing something from you. But now we've got, I mean, you have taught us to be more specific, like legit spelling it out. Like I need this to receive this. Mm -hmm. Also, expectations are the number one killer to relationships. Please see your previous episode. (laughs) (laughs) They are, it's like the enemy. It really is. Do you know the book, Paul David Tripp's book, What Did You Expect? No, I've never heard of it. Oh, you need to read. it's, It's a marriage book. It saved my marriage because... God used it in a season, and I'll share this every single episode if I have to this, this season. But I did it in a Bible study, and it was during a time where Andrew and I were, he was not wanting to work on the relationship at all. And God used that book to change me enough mm. to where Andrew's like, oh, okay. And then that got the ball rolling, but God had to work on my heart first. And I think so many times we get confused on that, well, for our marriage to work, we both need to be working on it. But that's not the case if 
if you're working on it and what changes right. 1%, I mean, that's 50% changed. Well, right. And that's what I want to, I want to speak on that because that is actually what I did. I mean, I, I remember having a, <laughs> I didn't even tell him I was going to therapy. I think it was a Friday morning and he's like, what are you up to today? And in a text and I text him and I was like, I'm going to therapy. He's like, for what? It's like, oh, we'll talk about it later. I just need to work on some things. Dun, that dun, is dun. how yeah. it was. <laughs> And if I knew then what my husband thinks now, man, I probably would have given him some more information uh, because he's a man who tells stories in his head about things. And so I was going to say, he I was like, I, I knew immediately yes. that that is that was the longest hour of Chris's life yeah. in the last because all he's thinking is about. Well, what, what, what did, what did I do? Why is she going is to do? What's, is like, she, what's wrong? And is going to tell her what to do and how to live and you need <laughs> yeah, to run or and, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. Yeah. And he was, yeah. So that we ended up having a very long car ride. Our dog ended up having to have surgery and we had to take him to emergency in Columbia, Missouri. And that car ride, I mean, four hours of just like unloading that I had gone to therapy because I was so bitter, so angry. So frustrated in things that, yes, some were what he was doing, but I had built up so much resentment that I held it against him, not not even knowing it was like super su- subconscious, like we were still happy dating and, you know, being intimate and all the things. But I was still I just it just kept layering on top that anger and bitterness. And he was like, OK, well, tell me a little bit more. And so I went I think I went one more time. And then he was fine. I asked him, I was like, will you go? And he's like, absolutely. Like, I'm not like we're working on this. We're in this together. Like, and I think just me taking that step opened that up for him of like, wait, she's needing help and I'm not going to let her go on and do this on her own. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So can we go? Hold on. I'm sorry. Can we also I want to share the story about the definition of intimacy. Absolutely. Oh, please, for, please share the story. This is amazing. Hey, sorry, Chris. <laughs> not for, really not really. Not, and receiving marriages. Yes. yes. So hold on. For the record, y'all, this is what happens. I get the best snippets out of what happens in therapy. Tracy comes and tells me the best side of the story. I mean, I, I know that they're, they're an amazing couple and I love them both dearly, dearly. <laughs> but it's amazing when I get this, the snippets of, you know, and then we said this and what? And, you know, it's yeah. like, are you naked in the sauna together? That's a way <laughs> That's back, a different one. way back throwback. So, so we were in an episode and we'd been go or we not an episode, episode. session. We were in a session. Feels like an episode. Though, doesn't it? <laughs> we were in a session and we'd been going for a while and we were just talking, I think, about vulnerability and just I think what you what do you say? Vulnerability builds intimacy okay. and Interest? Trust. Oh, trust. Okay, that's it. (laughs) Vulnerability builds intimacy and trust. Right. Okay. So we're having this conversation about intimacy. And Chris was like, I don't really understand that. How does having sex build, like, vulnerability like leads you to sex and builds trust? Like, what's the question? And Noreen was like, well, what's your definition of intimacy? He's like, having sex. She was like, oh, no. She's like, Tracy, what's your you know, definition of intimacy? I'm like sitting down, being heard, knowing that my voice matters, like exposing emotions, talking about feelings and processing and, you know, all of that connecting. Yes. Connecting and 
he just sat there in awe. I mean, we get to mic drop, legit mic drop in Noreen's office, and we did. <laughs> like, we have legit mics. Yes. And it was so, like, by the end of the session, we were both super emotional about that because, praise God, sex is not an issue in our marriage. And I will toot our horn on that one because we have worked hard. And I own, I only can, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, ha, I used you. You, you said shit. it, and I just had to acknowledge it. And but okay, go, sorry. Go ahead. This goes back to having had issues is why it's so good now because we worked through those issues. So, but on that, at the end of our session, we had shed tears. We had really exposed and really opened up some things. And Noreen was like, "Tracy, how bad do you want to leave this session and go have sex with your husband?" I was like, "Exactly. Like when you open up your hearts to each other." And you connect on such a deep level, it it turns you on, I guess. Is that the best I way to say it? What I said was, oh, my gosh, you guys are going to go home and have amazing sex. Yes, I think so. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> because it was. It was intimate. And, like, it made you guys recognize and see each other with the same vision, the same glasses. And that's something that we talk about a lot. Understanding, bringing in the Enneagram recognizing that you have to look at your partner's lens. That's how they see outside the world. And you guys were talking about, I remember I would pray, Lord, please change Darren, making the spiritual leader of our home. Here's my long list of everything. And yeah. then I realized, I'm like, wait a second, I'm, I'm doing this wrong. So I stopped praying for him and I prayed for God to change me and to make me the wife that Darren needed to be patient, to be loving, to fill his cup. And... It was weird, and I'm not saying God does this every single time, but it was like God changed Darren. I At least that's what it felt like to me. He mm -hmm. probably changed me, yeah. but... Well, it's almost like he uses, God uses us. I mean, because I know I changed when I was going through the, the what, and then it did. It made me look internal versus like, oh, I wish Andrew was here listening to the sermon right now when God is like, hmm. I've got you in the seat for a reason. Right. If you yeah. would pay attention, this this one's for you. If Andrew needed to hear it, I'd get his butt here too. And that just changed my perspective of everything. And then by me changing, it gave, it almost gave Andrew permission to change and gave him going, oh, okay. Like in right. the encouragement, it's, but you're right. I mean, it's incredible the way that happens. Theorists call that like what you have is a homeostasis. And it only takes one person in a system to change. You and Andrew are a system, you and yep. Chris. So had Tracy said, he's never going to come, I'm like, that's okay. And I mean, I've had clients that will like before, she's like, call me, my husband, I need therapy. I'm like, okay. She's, and then a couple of days later, well, what if he doesn't like you? I'm like, what if he doesn't like me? She's like, well, what if he never comes back? I'm like, what if he never comes back? Yeah. It's building you. And so I say to my boys all the time, they're like, mom you know, Preston's doing this or Beckett did that. And I'm like, how would you know what your brothers are doing if you're keeping your eyes on the wall that God put before you? Mm -hmm. Oh, God is yes. saying to you, yeah. um, you shouldn't be looking at Andrew's wall. Look at your wall. That's yeah. the wall I have for you to build. Yeah. Yeah. Are you referencing Nehemiah here? Like that I cannot be bothered with that right now. I need to, you know, I'm here to build the wall. Sorry. That's another good one. Another good scripture that I love. Yeah. And it's often the movie Facing the Giants, that concept. Yes, Amazing Facing movie. the Giants. Mm -hmm. We just watched that. It's not great. too long. Oh, we love that. But it's recognizing that it takes just one person in a system 
to change the entire dynamics. It's not going to be easy. And what happens is you have this way of life of doing everything. And even if you will like nag your husband, like this needs to change, this needs to change, nothing changes until you get to the point they're like, this is not working. So you recognize that that heat is going to bend you. And when you start to bend and you become more differentiated, then the partner is like, will put the heat more on because he or she wants it back the way it was. Yeah. And it's when I say sitting in that discomfort, but being comfortable while there, it's being able to say, am I stronger to wait or to in order to get out of this to go through it or just bail and go back to the way it was? Because the partner is going to want it to go back the way it was, because that means. That was comfort. That was normal. That was was the normal. normal. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. We know what that experience is. Even if it wasn't perfect or happy, it was just comfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. And so if there's something that needs to change, it's you I will work on. Mm -hmm. You specifically. Like, and teach you the both and. You don't have to agree with what I'm doing. And I feel confident about this decision. Now, that's not like. You don't have to agree I'm having an affair and I'm comfortable. Right. It's not like that. No. But it is <laughs> yeah. recognizing that you don't have the word welcome tattooed to your forehead. Mm-hmm. And no marriage is ever 50-50, ever. It could be 95-5. It could be 20-80. It's just always. And when people come to me and one person in the relationship is the taker, what I call the dipper. Mm-hmm. You know, we've learned that with our kids, the dipper and the filler. Okay. Right? Someone's always dipping, 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 and the other person's always filling, filling, filling. Yep. If the dipper is taking 80%, the dipper continues to take 80% because that partner is putting that 20% out there and saying, you can continue to dip in me. Mm -hmm. So being able to say, these are my boundaries, and I love you, and I need to protect me. Yeah. Or I am your wife. And this does not feel comfortable for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on that with teenagers and being a awesome mom that I am and being a helper. I may have enabled my children a little much. (laughs) And now I'm setting a boundary that says, "Mm, mom doesn't have the time or energy and you're fully capable. (laughs) Right. Because you are raising him or her. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're going to be in their marriage. Yes. So you're saying, oh, because I'll do it, then you need to expect your partner to do that. I am not raising men that my daughter-in-laws are going to want to punch me in the face. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are going to have to wrap it up for time purposes, but I did have one more question. We kind of talked about this before. I think a lot of people especially with this culture and season and day and age that we're in, we are talking about mental health issues a lot more. We are talking about, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot going on. And there are a lot of terms for going to therapist, a counselor, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing a social worker. What is your, you know, best tip or advice to give someone when they're looking for help? Well, I am an MFT, so I'm going to say that I am biased. MFTs, marriage and family therapists, think very systemically. So when you came into my office, I didn't look just at you. Right. I thought like, what did she learn growing up? What were multi-generational patterns? Mm-hmm. What was her birth order? 
I also believe, I mean, this is my belief, the Enneagram really helps me understand how you do and see life. Yep. Then I want to look at your relationship with your partner. And so I want to understand him and his parenting and the communication messages that you've received from your friends, church. I mean, everything makes sense in context. Yes. And there isn't one recipe for a marriage because there are so many dynamics, narratives, oppressive narratives that you've received growing up. So as an MFT, I think of multifaceted. It's not just you sitting on my sofa. Mm-hmm. Um, masters in social work are more the mindset of the social well-being. So you think a lot of what's better for the whole in the environment, the society, how can we create everyone to find a place in the world? Social work does a lot of social work. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't still provide therapy, you can, but, and they're all three, and then you have the LPCs. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Licensed professional counselor. Okay. From my personal experience, from going to an LPC for 14 years and also studying and understanding, we have a lot of the similar modalities, but it seems like LPCs are more of like who's sitting in their office and how that makes them feel. And I mean, there are interventions, but it's more of like you need to be the one to want to make the interventions. Whereas emerging family therapists, I'll say, how's that working for you? And you're like, it's not. So then I really implement the awareness of options and differentiation and owning your own responsibility, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. I have a feeling we're going to need a part two. I was just about to say the same thing. I was like, uh, part two coming in April or May because we need more of this. Yes. We're so so grateful for your time. And obviously, thank you for being there for me and my marriage and my family. Always. This was such an honor. And to actually get to meet the (laughs) Noreen and uh, just hear the snippets and the this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so well, much for your time today. Thank you, Tori. I will say any goodness you see is not me. Oh, it's all I, God. Yeah. It truly is. I'm like, now when there is a hot mess, that will be all me. Right. <laughs> hey, man. And I'm talking to, I claim all the hot mess. Yep. Yes. And I'm right. needing me help. So if you guys think you want to help me in that area, I've done a perfect job on my own. So <laughs> no needed to apply so (laughs) yes well we hope you housewives have taken some nuggets and if you have any questions or need more information we will provide a lot of resources in our show notes and we will see you next week see you next week housewives whether we made you laugh or cry today we pray you feel appreciated bolder and braver than yesterday stronger and more faithful for tomorrow and living in who you were made to be today Join our online community on Facebook, link in the show notes, and be sure to review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time, housewives, we give you permission to walk confidently, free, and to be intentional in your slippers or stilettos.